listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. If you call a person, they don't call you back. You text them, they don't text you back. 20 minutes later, you get on Facebook and you see they just posted a post or, or Instagram, but they're not calling you back in any time, but they're, they're doing their social media thing. How does that make you feel? Translate that to the work environment. Somebody comes to your door, hey, can I talk to you? I'm so sorry, I'm busy right now. Come back in a little bit. They leave, go right around the corner. Next thing you know, a, a customer comes in the office and you see the customer and you stand up at your desk, how you doing? Nice to see you. Welcome to the office. Can I get you something to drink? What is that saying to the employee that you just were too busy for? They're not as important as the customer. You know, these little things as, as managers and leaders, people can see that and they can see how we're being prioritized and it matters. So tonight's about communication, so it'll be very dialogue-based, discussion-based. I'm curious, where, where, do we, where do we begin? Mass communication, that's a good way to say it. Visual, you can say like group communication, video. What does it mean when you create content and you communicate content? What are you trying to do for yourself or for others? Your own experience that you're sharing, but it could also be experiential communication. Like, let me put this out there and see what happens. Nonverbal, that's a big one. So what am I saying with my colored shirt today? Do you think it's a active nonverbal communication or passive or indirect, subconscious? So all, all of those, like subconscious communication, expressive. Do you think that when you listen to me, do you think that my nonverbal communication speaks? Have, have you ever seen comedians and watched their, the comedian's nonverbal communication? Like Dave Chappelle, do you, you guys look? I mean, you can, you can listen to any comedians, but sometimes they could be saying nothing or even the punchline itself is a nonverbal communication. Nonverbal is a big one. It's a really, really, really big one. We're looking at a slew of different ways that we can communicate with one another. And there's always this image of this perpetual communication going on, and then we have to be aware of it. And it's it's, it's sometimes it's information overload. And so if you have a cousin that you miss and that you haven't seen in a while, and you haven't talked to them on the phone in a while, and you write them a letter, are you capable of conveying more information to them through that letter? What that environment that you write the letter in? Is, are there a lot of distractions? If you think about a person that's writing a letter, and you think about a person that's standing in front of you and speaking whatever's in the letter, I know that if I was courting my wife and I was wanting to take her on a date, the beauty of my wife will distract me from what I really want to say to her. And then I start saying something, then I see her reaction, and then all of a sudden I start saying something different. Or we're in the restaurant and I see the waiter come by and the waiter interrupts the communication. It's almost like that face-to-face -face communication is effective, it's genuine, but if I get into a quiet place and I can really express my heart through written word, it could be more effective, it could be, it, it just could be different. I may be able to get the message across more cleanly, more concisely, and my writing style can be interpreted just like nonverbal. You can sense when somebody's writing something whether or not they're thinking through it, whether or not they really mean it, whether they're just putting words on a, a piece of paper. The point of that is, it's just there's so many variables and dynamics to communication. 
even written communication. And when you think of written communication, you think of a text message or an email. But a letter, a letter is a whole page. You should have plenty of time to think this through. And when it's received, sometimes the message is still confusing, like a memo. Okay, what does it say when a person gets on a public, like out in front of a group of people? Uh, when they go to a soccer game and they, they want to tell the coach that they want to come down on the field and talk to the team after the game. What does that say about them, the communicator? They're confident. That's a big one. They really want to get their message across. Like there's something important that has to be said. The platform and the channel in which you use to communicate in itself communicates a part of your message. What if your boss calls you and says, hey, I, I need to have a one-on-one -on -one with you. So immediately your mind goes to, uh-oh, why does it have to be an uh-oh? But really the essence of the platform and the way in which your boss wants to talk to you, and this is a call. He calls you and says, I need to have a one-on-one -on -one with you. Like, well, like every time, it's best to do in person behind closed doors with silence. It means that it's an important topic that the boss or the manager wants to make sure is conveyed concisely, clearly, not misconstrued, as opposed to doing it publicly or as opposed to doing it via text or via written. It's one-on-one. -on -one. Which form of some of these or the ones that you wrote down do you prefer and why? And I know it's three questions in one, but and what circumstance does that fit best in? Are you, are you capable of getting your message across well verbally? Do you like receiving your messages verbally? How about somebody else, something different, and maybe different than verbal? So we got emails, one that we like, verbal. It's a really good point. I mean, if the doctor says something important to you, and for whatever reason, you may have missed it or you might forget it, but if he writes it to you in an email, it's not, it may not be as effective. Give me an example of that chain that you just described. What, what would be the situation that that would? Okay, so... COVID happened, new accounts needed to be opened because that slowed down. An email was sent out to a large group of team members, and then those team members convened about the email. So we went from a large email to a small group discussion to a one-on-one. -on -one. Is there another line after that? Maybe another email out about the progress that has been made since the first email? There's an initiative. Something is happening. So communication has to be sent through some sort of channel. And then based on that initial communication, there's a multiple multitude of other layers of communication that go along with that. Did your organization communicate effectively in this situation? And what did you like most about the way in which they communicated? In some ways, there were certain types of communications that you preferred under certain types of circumstances. Anybody else have any preferred methods of communication that they want to talk about? And what about public speaking do you enjoy? Why? What benefits of public speaking is why is that better than sending an email to the same group of people? Would you know if they're paying attention or not? So who agrees with that? When you public speak, you can tell that people are paying attention. You agree with that? Anyone disagree? Attention is one thing, right? But if you're public speaking, what are you, what are you trying to do? Convey, persuade. So yeah, they may, first of all, they may look like they're paying attention. Or are they paying attention? Okay, so you don't know if they're paying attention. And then if your goal is to convey a message, the next question should be what? They're paying attention then what do you want them to do to your message? What, don't you want them to understand your message? So we go, all right, I'm talking to you right now. Are, are you paying attention? Maybe. I, I think you are based on what, you're, what you look like. And then the third is, does it even matter if you're paying attention if you don't understand the point I'm trying to make? Yeah, or even if you're interested. Even if, even if you are paying attention and you understand, will you retain it? Will it make a, a difference? Does it matter to you? Yes, public speaking is an effective way of communication, but it's it's not it's got flaws to it in itself. Yeah, it's it's just a discussion point, and it's really get you guys to start thinking about 
as managers and as leaders, uh, when you communicate things in your organization, depending on what it is and under what circumstances, one, there may be a very easy singular form of communication channel, either down, up, or across, that you can convey something. Or it may, like Peter's example, require a multitude of layers of communication, both down, across, and up, one-on-one, email, group discussions, because it's an important topic, and it's so important that we get people to understand. We have, we have a message to convey, and we convey it publicly. It takes 10 minutes. After that conveyance of the message, we're required to get with our smaller teams, and we're required to talk about the message we just heard. And in addition to that, after that, there's a secretary in that little group that is assigned to write a summary of the group discussion and send it out to the team and explain to the team what they talked about, about what they heard. And then after that, there's a one-on-one with their bosses or whatever to follow up on whether or not they're executing on what that is. More likely, you're going to care about it. You're going to listen. You're going to have to pay attention. And you're probably going to you know, do whatever it is. Or like I said, it could just be a, hey, everybody in this organization, I just wanted to let you know that I, I care about your work and I care about what you're doing. And I want to tell you that for Thanksgiving, we are going to give out turkeys this year. You, you had a great year. Good job. So it's a, a form of communication, and you probably listened to what I had to say. It was quick, and you probably know what's going to happen after that. Does that require an additional email? As per said in meeting this morning at 6.03, we are doing this, this, and that's not really short, concise, and clear. This topic is, like I said, with the decision-making. This one in particular in business is probably one of, I would say one of the most important, but it, it is the tool or the tactic you can use as a manager that could likely advance your career a little bit more than others. The way in which you communicate, how you communicate, and how effective you communicate will determine a lot of times your success as an organization, as a leader. When I say communication, I'm doing it verbally, but the reality is, as a manager, we may not be good speakers. We may not be, we may be more introverted. So we have to be self-aware, like we talked about in the leadership, and understand our strengths and know that our best form of communication could be written. Our best form of communication could be one-on-one. Our best form of communication could be text, or maybe an emoji or a picture, who knows. Based on that video, what are some ways that Zappos is communicating to their customers? And what are they trying to communicate? They're communicating that they have the style you want, and whatever style you prefer, they have it. What, what other sort of subconscious message could they be communicating through that initiative to their customers? What does it tell the customer? They're there for the customer, that they care about. That when you shop at Zappos, it's not just an exchange and transaction, it's a relationship. Just simply by building that type of communication outwardly, you're building a relationship and you're communicating that you're creating a two-way communication channel taking off the hat of marketing and branding and putting on the hat of management, what should we do for our important relationships, our employees, our customers? How should we, how can we take Zappos example and apply that? Yeah. By, by listening to them, asking them to engage in the conversation, having an open channel of communication to be able to customize the way in which you talk to them by, by what they prefer, how they listen, how they, they do work whether or not they like doing certain things, I think it's really important. Okay, so just look around and see how different everybody's X and their right hand looks. The size, the proportion. See, I see you put one in the up left-hand corner. You got a green one. Look how big the X is compared to the rectangle. 
So the point of that is there was very little instruction of how big, where on a piece of paper, how you know where the X is just, but everybody does it differently. So I, I believe that the point of that is this the same thing with communication. Is we may convey something, but without the parameters, it can be conceived and conveyed in, in a multitude of different ways perceived. And what are the characteristics of open communication climate within an organization? Describe the organizational benefits of managers cultivating an open communication climate. Listening, you can resolve conflicts easily when there's open communication. Yes. A lack of judgment. If you feel like when you put communication out there and someone's going to judge it, are you willing to put communication out there? Judgment free. When it is open, is it possibly it could be a bad thing because people talk, say the wrong things or talk too much or there's that one person who says something crazy? And so if you're in an environment where it's open communication, would you be served well to have emotional intelligence knowing when it's correct to communicate and when it's correct just to not put your opinion out there? What if a company is soliciting your opinion anonymously? Would you be more willing to give it if it didn't have your name associated to it? So within the organizations that you manage and you lead, it's probably good, just based on the consensus of this class, to have a platform in which people can speak. I was listening to a guy named Ed Stack, who's the CEO of Dick's Sporting Goods last night. He was at the University of Miami, and I was invited by a person that went there as an alumni. Ed Stack is unbelievable. If you read the book, there was a, a case about how, with the Parkland shooting, the person who committed the crime at Parkland purchased a gun from Dick's Sporting Goods store three months prior to committing the crime, and it crushed the CEO. And the CEO's story is unbelievable. Value system is amazing. He, he decided to take a stand. He decided to go to Capitol Hill and talk about not he, – he believes that people are, should be allowed to carry guns in the Second Amendment, I think it is. But he, he doesn't think it's being done well. Like There should be more stipulations to it. There should be more control over it. And he took a stand to take all of the guns out of his stores. This is 900 stores. They all sold different types of guns, shotguns, and assault rifles. And he removed all of them. He only put in, I think, just rifles. And it was a huge thing, And but he did it. The way in which he went about doing it wasn't sitting in his room in a silo and saying, I think this isn't right. He literally pulled every single employee in his entire organization, and he sat down with a multitude of different team members and listened to what they had to say and understand everybody's perspective on this issue. And then based on consensus and his own uh, moral standing, he decided to, to take a to make a decision. Is communication not just about talking, it's also about listening. It's a, it's a two-way conversation. So if you're a good leader, do you, do you talk more or do you listen more? So he had this awesome little visual. And I did this in, in my organization too. He said the CEO is at the bottom of the organizational chart. And he says it's like a diamond. He has, say, his like mid-managers here. And then he's got his maybe executives here. And then he's got his uh, frontline employees, frontline employees here. And then at the tip of the diamond, he calls them athletes. Those are, these are the customers. So, and then he says that the further away that the person is from the athlete, the less talking they should be doing and the more listening. And he's the furthest away from the customer. So he says, my job is just to listen, just to listen to these people, and then these people need to be listening to these people, and then these people better be listening to the athletes so that they can funnel the information through the organization. It was pretty cool to really know what is my role to speak, 
And what is my role to listen? And how does that fit into the, the mission and vision of my organization? And that's, that's open communication. So any other uh, open communication benefits or builds trust? How? How does it build trust? Yeah, you can, you can get better when you're being listened to and you can get feedback. It's a learning environment. If you have an experience where you're working, you're working for an organization and you're giving yourself to this organization 40 hours a week, say 50 hours a week, and you wake up every single morning and you get in your car, and use your own gas money, drive to work, and you show up at work and you do your best. One conversation with the manager where you wanted to be heard about something, you generally wanted to be heard about something. And I'm sure all of us here at one point in our life really wanted to be heard about something. It could be in personal relationships, whatever. And you expressed it and you knew that it fell on deaf ears, that they didn't listen, they didn't care, and nothing happened. Just that one time could totally pivot your willingness to work for that company. Isn't that crazy? So as managers and leaders, we need to be aware that our ability to listen and to take others' thoughts into consideration, or at least to demonstrate to them that we care, to reiterate what they said, and then to give it back to them and say, listen, I understand your perspective, but we still have to do it this way. I hope you can still move along with us in this mission that we're on. Even then, okay, they heard me. They heard me, it wasn't ignored, and they addressed my concern by saying they're not gonna address my concern. That's the worst case scenario. Best case scenario is they take your opinion into consideration, they implement some sort of change initiative, and they move forward and they say, thank you so much for your opinion. We want more of it. And come on, why don't you ride with me for the day and tell me more? And then it's the opposite effect. <laughs> this, is, this company is amazing. They, they care and value what I have to say. This is a cool question. In order for communication to be considered two-way communication, which of these is necessary? Feedback is good too, and how about a channel? Right now, I have something in my head. It goes to my lips, and if you can envision like a little envelope being set to your ears, <laughs> through your brain, and then of course, you have something to say in return, that this is the channel in which we're communicating. The Instagram is a channel, which is what you use to communicate the message. So that's needed to have two-way communication. If I couldn't speak and you couldn't listen, there'd be no channel. At least there would be no channel for verbal. So I'd say channel and feedback. If we could really think about it, and I think the, the goal of education is to get us to critically think about it, and practice in your personal relationships. I even practice with strangers. I read a book one time about boundaries, they said the best way to practice saying no to somebody is doing it with strangers. And just think about it. How many times throughout the day do you interact with a stranger and they, they might ask you to do something or they might, you know, a homeless man on the street ask you for money or somebody um, holds the door open for you and you say, no, thank you, I got it. Just be like, no, it's okay. And clear, concise communication. And what I try to do is now that I'm learning more about communication, I try to think, okay, what is it I want you to know? That there's a sender in the communication process. Always a sender. That they have a message somehow. That in their brain, they're encoding. And they're delivering it like a letter to you somehow. So then, so are you the sender? And then also, let's put on the hat of the receiver. A different perspective. When you are receiving this little digital memo, whatever, how are you reacting to it? Are you listening? Are you receiving it with joy? Are you receiving it with anger? What does that look like? It's real simple, but start trying to break this stuff down, but know that this is happening. Write on an envelope anonymously what you think about my shirt today. Just write it down. And I collect the envelopes and I read them. But it's just the same way of me asking, you know, hey, what do you think? What do you think of the red shirt? Or also, and then just think about the way in which I'm going to receive the information and the way in which you're going to send it with a verbal versus a written. 
versus a, hey, this is me telling you what I think about your red shirt versus I get to write it down anonymously and I can say whatever I want. Who here has communicated something and it was received wrong? And then when the person came back with some form of response, if you ever start talking about like a blue buffalo and then they come back and they're like, well, I heard something about a glue or, or say instead of blue, it's glue. Instead of buffalo, it's headphones. Really silly. So they're, th they're thinking you're talking about glue headphones and you're talking about a blue buffalo. And so they respond back in a totally different framework and mindset, speaking about something totally different. And then how do you react? Do you go along with it? Do you just stop the communication altogether? Or do you tell them like, no, that wasn't what I said. Let me try this again. Like how do you give that feedback? So here's the question. When we express communication that we want to be understood and then it's received and given back to us somehow, do we give feedback? Thank you, that's what I wanted. Oh, I really appreciate it. You, you gave it to me in the, in the form in which I wanted. Or what if it's not? And the, that's the real question is do we give them honest feedback about how we received it and the quality in which it was received and even whether or not they understood the communication we gave them? It's, it's not received well. There's a, a toxic aspect to it. But you communicate a message to the sender, and it was meant to intend this. He interpreted it a different way, and then he communicated a message back to you in some passive-aggressive way of like, so you And then you interpreted that as, oh, now he's mad at me. So then he took his feelings, carried a message to the manager to tell the manager about the way in which you communicated with him. Yeah. <laughs> and then that manager came to you and expressed to you that your communication was improper. And so you received that message from the manager, and you were confused because you were <laughs> unsure as, what, what do you mean? So, gosh, should we take communication seriously? And should we be prepared? <laughs> and also, the other thing is, too, real guilt and false guilt. Meaning, if you did something wrong to somebody, there's something wrong to somebody. You communicated in a way that was mean. And you, you should, we should all know what that is. And we did something to hurt somebody, to harm somebody, to cause ill to them. Then it's okay. Like, there should be some guilt in that that we did something wrong and if we have consequences, okay. But if we have no intentions of doing that and we're, we're trying to do like you did, should we, even ex should we even feel guilty if somebody else receives our message in a way in which we didn't intend it? Are we meant to bear that guilt? Are we meant to, if the, it wasn't received well and they come to us and say, hey, I didn't, to express ourselves and to try to create some sort of remedial uh, relational equity? meaning or we try to repair that relationship. Does it matter? Yeah, I mean, the answer is yes. So here's what I'm trying to say. Our communication is going to fall on ears, and people aren't going to receive it well. And we need not bear the burden of that guilt. But if they come to us and express to us and say, hey, I, from what I heard you said, this is what I heard and I'm mad about. That's when we step in and say, okay, let me clarify. Let's talk more about this. Let's sit down. Let's have a one-on-one. -on -one. Want to set up a call? I'd love to express to you what I was trying to do. And that's going to happen all the time what I just explained. Sometimes our communication isn't going to be received well. We need to re-clarify, reinterpret, express ourselves more. We, we can't feel attacked or uh, triggered by that. It's natural. I mean, look at this. Just look at this little diagram in itself. It's quite confusing, just the process of which communication is done. Potential for error or misunderstanding. If I'm saying, hey, I really like you, and you're, you're really cool, and man, I just really think you did awesome today in class, and I'm just really happy with you. What is that? If you really listen to what I just said, I have nothing but compliment. But if you look 
you're stuck on what on what I'm expressing with my nonverbals, and you're not even paying attention to anything I'm saying. You think I'm mad, so that that's important too. And then the channel we talked about the channel, how you interpret interpreting the message, how am I formulating the message, and the channel goes there, message verbal and nonverbal symbols again, and it's just this constant room for error. Encode, decode, message, channel, feedback. How do we process these messages? How, how are we processing them in our head? How are we delivering them to others? So as managers and as leaders, is it important that we communicate certain things to our team and that we take it very seriously and we try to be as effective as possible? What are those things that we need to take very seriously? Just one or two key things as leaders and managers of the company, okay, which would be values. We need to communicate those. It needs to be clearly understood. If anybody has any confusion about the values we have, we're respectful to others. Very important. Yeah, do, do you have any confusion about respect? Okay, come here, let me talk to you about it. <laughs> Ethics, very important. This is how we believe we treat financial information. If you receive cash from a customer and you take that and you put it in your pocket and you go buy pizza with it, we got a problem, come on, stop. It's very important that you understand in this organization how we behave ethically. Empathy. So yeah, that part of values. We, we choose not when somebody is expressing pain or hurt or, or tiredness in their life to us, we choose not to just tell them to strap it up and get it together or you know go home. We don't treat people like that. We say, okay, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, tell me more. Or how can I help? That's how we treat people. That's an important message to convey to your team. Maybe it's not the way you treat people. Maybe it's different here, and it's important that your team know that as well. How about mission and vision? Objectives, goals. So values, ethics. Mission, vision, objective, goals. Let's just stop there. Those things as managers, the culture. Here at this organization, we embrace a culture of servanthood to others. We embrace a culture of performance matters. We embrace a culture of we put the customer first. Like these are certain things that here at this company, that if you want to be a part of this, this is sort of how we behave. These are things that are critical as managers. And if you just stop right there and you, and you think about communication and leadership and team dynamics, if you just sit on those six or seven key items as managers, and you're constantly communicating those things. That's really a, not a lot of discussion. You, you're, that's gonna consume 50% of your week. Constantly reinforcing these messages. And then what happens, of course, if you do not abide by those? So you can say it, but if you don't walk it, what kind of message are you sending? So that's a rhetorical question, but this is purpose-driven communication. Challenges of communication, unite people around a common sense of purpose, communicate the organization's vision, mission, and values, persuade and influence others to act to accomplish the vision. Very, very important. I don't like the word persuade, but I do enjoy the word convey, assert. When I assert something, I'm really trying to persuade you into thinking the way I think. But I think what's more important as managers is persuasion is done through facts. We just have to present facts we have to put them out there. We have to convey information and then allow them to interpret it as they wish. But it is important that we use communication to draw people together and to unite and to move forward. There was a great story about after the George Floyd shooting, there was a lot of people in Atlanta that were rioting. And they were rioting, they were calling them peaceful protests at first. And after the peaceful protest turned into violence and gang, almost gang related, Activity where people were breaking into things and destroying property and hurting one another, harming one another. The mayor stepped into this situation 
and she was an African-American woman, and she conveyed a message of just genuine concern for her city. And she shared her own personal experience, and she shared her own heart, and she was emotional in the way she shared it. That message stopped the violence. He said, don't do this anymore. Look at what you're doing. You're hurting the city. You're hurting the cause. You're dishonoring the, the Floyd family. So her ability to persuade could have saved lives. Authentic communication, emotional communication. Have you ever gone to pick up the phone, you want to talk to, or you're thinking you should call your mom or dad, your sister, or your brother, and, and you just don't? Mm, I should, but I'm not going to. Why? What do think about? Like, what, what happened? I know I should, I don't want to. An individual's level of fear or anxiety associated with interpersonal communication. I have that sometimes. I want to talk to somebody, but I just want to call them deal with that. Does anybody think about it? Why not? You don't, you don't really want to talk. You're worried about what they might say. You're worried you may say something wrong. You're worried that they may keep you on the phone longer than you want to. You're worried that you've you got to go somewhere in 10 minutes, and you do have 10 minutes, but if you call them, you might get distracted by your objective. Or think about this. You might just want to scroll Instagram. You might just want to listen to a podcast. Way more entertaining than talking to that person. This is a big one to sink on, and let's sit on this communication apprehension. When you want to tell somebody that you care about them and you love them, do you, who raise their hand in the room if you text them? Raise your hand in the room if you call them and say, hey, I appreciate it, I love you. You gotta do one or the other. So you got one situation, you're thinking about your mom, and do you call them or do you text them? Okay, so how often nowadays do we show up at people's houses unannounced? Right, like even if you go over, like do the person you know really well, you typically do what before you go over there? Text them. Okay, so that's the question. Who texts them before they go over? Okay, so who calls them before they go over? All right, so let's put a situation up there that you have formidably made plans this weekend with a friend, and it's a full day plan. You guys are gonna go get some smoothies at Smoothie King and head out to the beach. It's Thursday. The activity is coming up on Saturday. You've already kind of formulated these plans last week, and you just wanna start by getting excited about it, what do you do, text them or call them? Remember, it's Thursday. All right, so some people reach out and text. You're now the receiver of that communication. And you're going to the beach, whatever it is. Uh, do you respond to the text, or do you just wait till the next day? And so what, what if so what if you call them to make their plans or whatever, and they texted you back and said, sorry, can't take your call right now. So now, now what are you expecting? A call back. A call back. Okay, who says a call back is appropriate? What if they text you back and what if, you call them to convey information, right? They text you, sorry, I can't talk right now. So how can they text you back, text you back after they hear your message, if you left a message? It can get confusing as we, as we run it out, but if you call somebody and you don't get a hold of them, you, you expect a call back, right? And also, so from the, the sender side, there's some expectations, and then from the receiver side, you have to understand that the sender has some expectations. So even just that, that goes into the communication apprehension of, gosh, I don't want anyone to call me because I don't want to have any expectations to have to call them back or even talk to them. So, so run it through. Now it's Saturday, and you still haven't talked to your friend about plans with them. You made this plan a week and a half ago. So now you're waking up Saturday morning, and you're thinking to yourself, what? Are we still on or Are not? We still, yeah. Are we still going to the beach today? Like I haven't heard back from my friend. <laughs> I called him, and here I am. So now at this point, you're the person who called. You got the text, whatever. Now Saturday morning comes around, what do you do? You text them or you call them? Call, call, you call them again. So you call them, you call them, then they call you back, then they call them again. All right. 
That's right. And then who says they text them? So now you're like, all right, I, we got to know what we're doing today. I'm placing a phone call right now. And so then they pick up. And finally, when they pick up, you're like, okay, right now we can figure out what we're doing, whether or not we're on. And it's so much easier. But think about the psychology between Thursday and Saturday in your mind. And all the different like the different things you're thinking about. Are they gonna call me back? Here's the deal. They didn't call me back and send me the stupid text. I, I don't even know if we're still on or not. There's a, a dynamic there. And and the other reality is you could have 15 of those dynamics going on at once. Some guy calls you back that you called two months ago and then hey, good night. What's up, dude? I just I called you two months ago and you're just calling me back now. All of this dynamic that we, we may be receiving from communication styles and these different forms of communication could be creating a ton of communication apprehension with, with our lifestyles. At least I experienced that. There's like too many dynamics going on. I'm just like, forget it. I just want to talk to them. Right? Because if they don't call me back, I'm going to be mad. So I'm just not even going to set myself up for that situation. <laughs> it's going to text them. If they don't want to hurt me or like it, then I'm not going to be mad too. <laughs> Perpetual, you know, you were putting ourselves out there and we're not getting the same love in return, it's, it's detrimental to our psyche. So I, I really do, and I'm, I'm kind of honing in on that, because I, I want us to break through that and break away from that, have confidence in our communication, and to set expectations, and to have some sort of guidelines in our personal and work relationships that, that make sense. We learn some foundational ways in which we communicate with others. We also know that there's a role of a communicator and a sender. We also know that there's different multiple channels that at appropriate times that we should be using. Uh, one was a little bit more personal, and another one was more objective. Neither could, you can poke holes in both of them, but both good approaches. So notice just in the way that we delivered that discussion. How did I communicate the problem to you for discussion? Do you remember previously the problem? It was verbal, right? Was it a little bit more difficult and challenging to understand? Yeah. So when you were able to read it and process it, did you understand the problem yeah. a little bit better? Yeah. So just in the way it's presented for discussion is, is a different format. How about when he stood up and he said, okay, here we go. Did we pay attention a little bit more? Yeah. So he, he positioned himself, he communicated well, and each one of us did a great job communicating. And that just a simple act gets people to pay attention a little bit more, right? So it's fun, and we can talk about the Lana situation, but you can also reflect on your own way of communicating, even with your group and through the classroom dynamics of how that changes things tone and communication. So as far as this situation is concerned, remember, Lana Lowey, a regional manager for a 100 person inside sales team, notices that the team's best performer, nobody really talked about that. This is your best performer. She's going through something where her performance is down 20%. The reality is something happened. External variables, internal variables, something happened. And as a manager, we're presented with a problem. We see performance going down. Therefore, is communication necessary, yes or no? Okay, so some form of communication is necessary. All of you said it should be something that's done face-to-face, -face, which infers what? But remember, when I ask somebody to come and talk to me face-to-face, -face, what does that infer? Without even saying a word to her, you guys are communicating to her that something serious is going on. Do you think that Lana knows her sales are down 20%? Yeah. She sure as heck does. And when you call her on the phone as a manager and say, we need to... Do you think she probably knows what the, the conversation is about? So let's be playing devil's advocate. Think about that. Is that fair to her? Oh, my, she's your top performer? Her sales on 20%? Now you need to have a serious conversation. <laughs> How about you just check in with her and say, hey, I appreciate you. I, 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 think, I think you're doing good. 
Uh, but you know, if there's anything I can do to help you, you let me know. Well, her approach is, is confronting the elephant in the room. She knows her sales are down. Everybody probably knows her sales are down. She's your top performer. Is the right move to address the, the wrong, or is the right move to say, hey, something might be going on. I just want you to know I got your back. I'm here for you. I believe in you. If there's anything you need, let me know. And that can be done in writing. Why does it have to be a one-on-one? -on -one? Why does it have to be this big, serious thing? Stress her out. Create this you know, thing about her performance. It's just, again, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, but just nobody in the room thought about it and, and pointed out the fact that she's a top performer. If you go and have this one-on-one, -on -one, and even if you make it a serious event and you address the performance, she could say, this place sucks. I've been performing here forever. All of a sudden, my sales are down 20%. Now my manager has a little, yeah, and come on, like, is this the kind of company I want to work for? Is this the kind of leader I want to work for? So just consider these variables of what we're doing as leaders and managers. If it's down 50%, I probably would have a different, um, or if she's noticeably in the office and her, she's not cutting her hair, brushing her teeth, and there's maybe some alcohol in her breath, and it's a little different. Her sales are down and she's exuding other behavioral tendencies that could be going towards she's not doing well. It's all contextual, but you can write her up and, and put something on HR, but just you don't have to have the one-on-one -on -one with her. It's just a note saying, hey, there's something going on here, and I want to document this because her sales are down 20%. But does a write-up have to mean you have to have a conversation with them? When you say a write-up, you're the boss, right? Write-up's fine. You instituted the write-up system. It's your system. Could you just write a note on your file, on the her employee file, just so that the next time she goes to a performance review that you noted on December 1st, 2022, sales are down 20%, and here's an official note so that you put it in there and at least so you remember it. It's important that you document, but does that need to be formally delivered to them and you sign it and say, hey, here's, it doesn't always have to be. There's no right answer. But if it's COVID and she's got all the excuses in the world to be missing work and her sales are down. So anyway, it's, it's fun to think about. So we talk about open communication, centralized network and decentralized network. This is a Centralized is a lot of, okay, you're the boss, you communicate to individuals. When you send a message to everyone, but you put in a BCC, you don't want anyone to engage with one another because you don't want them to know who the message was sent to. You're delivering a centralized communication. When you deliver a message and you put them all in the CC and they know what's going on and they do reply alls, that's a decentralized communication. They're, they're talking to one another, they're in and out, they may have small conversations. Channel richness. The amount of information that can be transmitted during a communication episode, the capacity of information channel is influenced by three characteristics. Ability to handle multiple cues simultaneously, ability to facilitate rapid two-way feedback, ability to establish a personal focus for the communication. The richness of a text message. Is it rich? What do you think emojis came out? <laughs> Advance the richness of it. That's why it's so popular. It creates more richness around it. The richness of my communication to you right now is pretty rich because I can convey any kind of tone or physical body language. It's more rich versus a text message. That's kind of what it's getting at. And I think the richness of the communication channel matters. The one-on-one -on -one with the, the lady conveys, uh, you can do some pretty, give her hug. Hey, you know, what's up? Or you can slide a piece of paper across the desk and say, I need to sign this. You're getting written up. Or rich, or a Facebook post saying that, so-and-so sucks this year. I wish she would pick up her sales and send it out to all your friends, and then she happens to see it. How about, how about this? And this is sort of comical in a sense, but if you call a person, they don't call you back. You text them, they don't text you back. 20 minutes later, you get on Facebook, and you see they just posted a post or, or Instagram. 
they just created this post for a bunch of people over here. But they're not calling you back in any type, but they're they're doing their social media thing. How does that make you feel? Translate that to the work environment. Somebody comes to your door, hey, can I talk to you? I'm so sorry, I'm busy right now. Come back in a little bit. They leave, go right around the corner. Next thing you know, a, a customer comes in the office and you see the customer, you stand up at your desk, how you doing? Nice to see you, welcome to the office, can I get you something to drink? What is that saying to the employee that you just were too busy for? They're not as important as the customer. And that in itself, you know, these little things as, as managers and leaders, people can see that and they can see how we're being prioritized and it matters. Electronic communication, okay, here's a good one. Avoid using electronic communication in the following situations. When you are angry, when your message may not be understood, when you are canceling or apologizing, that's funny. When you are rebuking or criticizing. So those, those last ones, that's just like that uh, friend of yours doesn't want to come on Saturday. You call them and they call you back, and on Saturday morning, they, they, they text you and say, I'm sorry, I'm canceling. I actually just canceled on some friends this weekend in Disney, and I called them. I called them and I said, hey, I said via text informally that I might be coming. I'm calling you to tell you I'm not coming. It was a great conversation. It was a good conversation. I was calling with what I thought would be bad news, and hey, I'm sorry, I kind of let you down. But it was a great conversation. He understood. We were able to have connect. So that that oh, I'm just gonna send him a text, and my job is done. Think about that. There's certain things we, we should be calling that we're texting. There's certain things that we should be emailing, but we're texting. They're more professional, and you probably shouldn't be sending that via text. Selecting the appropriate channel. Channel selection depends whether the message routine or non-routine. Non-routine messages typically are, are ambiguous, concern novel events, and have great potential for misunderstanding. Routine messages convey information managers already agree on and understand, such as data and statistics. Channel can convey a symbolic meaning to the receiver. The key to selecting the appropriate channel is its fit with the message. So I get LinkedIn messages all the time from people that are trying to solicit my business. Whether they just want to do consulting with me or they want to give me insurance or whatever that, that means. That channel in itself of LinkedIn, what is the image of that channel? Professional. Would it be appropriate for them to send me that on Facebook? Delineation between a business page and a personal page. So Facebook has been more, I think, oriented towards sharing personal life, sharing some things you're doing, some interests that you might have, where LinkedIn is more professionally accurate. So that person is choosing their communication channel they want to. Uh, would it be appropriate for them to text me? Some person I don't know about an insurance that they think I should have. No, I'll get offended by that. I don't know you. Oh, it's creepy, and you're trying to sell me something. I'm sitting here having a conversation with my daughter, and your text comes through, and it's, it's some. So it's important that we understand the appropriateness of these communication channels. You can email the president today if you wanted to. You could probably text message a celebrity if you wanted to figure that out. But if you really wanted to get in touch with that celebrity, a uh, football player that you have been interested in following and you really appreciate the way he's playing and you really want to convey a message to him. What's the most appropriate way to get in touch with him? Well, Tua probably has a team of people that represent him, correct? Right. So would it be appropriate to try to reach out to Tua's agent, to Tua's uh, administrative assistant, to Team Tua? Wouldn't that be appropriate? First, you look it up on the internet, Team Tua. I don't know, who's Tua's agent? You get their number, you look at their Instagram, say, hey, Tua's agent, I just had a really a message I wanted to convey to him, and he means a lot to me, and you know my son is really inspired by his play. Could you just send this over to him? Would that be more appropriate than trying to reach out to him yourself and sending him some like tear-jerky message about your son and how great he is? Probably more appropriate. Hey, too, I got a great message from a fan today. 
wanted you to check it out. Hopefully this will inspire you for the game. You could literally sit, you know, that message could be conveyed to him in a really professional way if done appropriately. The point I'm trying to get to is if you really want a message to get there, consider the way in which you're getting it there and consider the appropriateness of that channel and how that will be perceived. So it, there's thought that needs to go into that as well. Does anybody know what candor means? So candidly, candidly, I don't care about what you think. I'm going to tell you that it's getting a little loud in here. Or candidly, I'm going to say I don't appreciate the way in which, no, it's just speaking your mind in a way that's pretty straightforward. Who appreciates people who speak with candor? Who is a little bit annoyed and sensitive to people who speak with candor and could potentially have conflict with that? So managers, it's a delicate dance. There's times when managers should be using candor. Uh, and it's very appropriate to use candor in the workplace. Like when I sit down with you and here's the deal and your sales are down, it's it's almost a, and how that's received maybe, you know, well, thank you. Thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you for not just sending me some passive message about, hey, I'm here for you and I got your back. You're actually telling me this is a problem and I need to fix it. Two thumbs up. I'm going to try my best to get better. Whereas nowadays, it's almost interesting because the, the, the mentality is shifting more towards a sensitive feeling and disposition towards employees and giving feedback. And, and sometimes managers have to be careful what they say. Inclusion, diversity, work environment where it's, it's controversial to speak to certain people on the type of way. I was on a call today, and I won't tell you who it was with, but it was a fairly important person, said to a, a lady, it was a man, and the man was maybe 65 years old, and he had power and position. And the, the ladies on the team were just really seeking advice from him and sort of he positioned himself as a powerful person. And he said to him, sweetheart and, and woman, and I don't think he was doing it vulgarly. This is just how he is. But I don't know how, if you worked in an HR environment where that was, I think he would get in trouble. We have to be careful with what we say too as managers. Asking questions, this is a big one. Uh, as, as managers and leaders, appropriately asking questions is an important skill to possess. Very important. Clarifying questions. Hey, I'm, I'm talking about candor right now. Um, do you understand what candor is? Did I explain that well enough? Can you give me an example of using candor? The point is I'm, I'm clarifying with you that I just did something. Did you understand it? Or so appropriately asking questions and soliciting feedback when you sit down with that lady that's not performing well, you say, do you, do you know that your sales are down 20%? And she may say, no, I have no idea. Okay, well, how come you don't know? Nobody told me. Wow. You could go in there and deliver some message to her and not even know that she never knew because you're talking the whole time and you're just giving information, but you're not soliciting information in return. Asking questions is one of the most powerful things that you can do in sales. If you, if The salesperson traditionally is supposed to be talking 40% of the time. It's supposed to be listening 60%. You think that they're 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 trying to sell you something, but good salespeople ask questions, just like Zappos is doing. What kind of shoes do you like? What colors do you like? Then when you figure out the answers, they say, "Hey, look what I got. This is for you." So really learn the art. I ask you humbly in this moment. I'm going to use multiple forms of communication to convey my point, and it's going to say, "Change your questions, change your life." Here's another one. Learn how to ask your questions and you will grow as a person. Just the moment you're looking at it, you maybe read it, said it, maybe you'll listen to it more. But these, these two things, man, I'll tell you what, I have grown so much as an individual just simply by sitting with people that I admire and just asking questions. And I, I, I'm a visual learner. I, I listen to their story and I'm like in this story 
and the person is loving it because they can see that I'm inquisitive about their life and what they're doing, and it's it's important. It's part of trying to connect with you guys one on one. Is I was really trying to convey about hey, like what's what's up? Why are you here? How can I get better? You know, these are these are just little things that truly it, it helped me feel more comfortable with you, and hopefully it helps me be able to convey more information. Do it as managers. Ask good questions. Does anybody have an example of, of ways in which they use questions in their daily pursuit? Who's seen Big Hero 6? Raise your hand. Okay, a few people. When this, there's this big marshmallow-looking guy, um, like artificial intelligence, and he comes out and he's, he's supposed to help this kid with life. And so as soon as he's done helping this kid, he stands there and he says, um, are you satisfied with your care? That's what he says. Are you satisfied with your care? And he sits there and waits. And if you say, no, I'm not satisfied with my care, he says, okay, well, what can I do for you? <laughs> and he says, yes, I'm satisfied with my care. So, okay, thank you. And he goes back into his little machine. So when you're done talking to a person, you're about to move on, say, is there anything else I can do? And they say, no, there's not, but thank you. Or what if they say, yes, there is. Thank God you asked. Because if you left that conversation and you didn't ask the question, is there anything else I can do for you? You now walked away, they're sitting there with something on their heart that they wish you had done for them, and you didn't satisfy the purpose of you reaching out to them to begin with. Ask the question. And they, they probably really appreciate you asking that question, right? And then when you hang up the phone with them, how do you feel when they say no? You know, they asked me this crazy question, I went, jump through hoops to answer it, give them the information they need, and thank you so much. Boom, I did it. But what if you just didn't ask that question and you hung up the phone? You don't get that same feeling. A confident, positive approach techniques. Use I statements. Stick to facts rather than judgments. Be clear, specific, and direct in your requests. This is a really good one. And I try to use it in class, and I really try to use it when I'm in any kind of group discussion. Notice how people say we or us. You know how we always vote for the person that is the best looking. And you're like, wait a minute. Don't say we. I don't. I don't incorporate. Notice how we all come late to class. I'm sorry, we all, <laughs> like I'm here on time. Notice how we all like pizza. So don't say, try not to, I try not to use statements that incorporate we or us when I'm in conversation because I'm not sure who it might affect. Representing. I'm representing me, or I can say my wife and I, or I can say our family believes not we believe, or us over here in this building believe, unless you really know you're representing that group of people, because you could offend someone. You know, people just don't, they naturally just don't agree with you, even by the way you're saying it, so when you say we, they just, they, they feel a little threatened by that. Stick to facts rather than judgments. You know, there's this whole exercise to talk about how, you know, I feel this kind of way, and when you, when you talk to somebody, and it's the fundamental attribution error, I believe, that when I come home tonight, I would really like it if my dog went to the bathroom, that my wife took out my dog. Yeah, so when I come home, and, and the dog hasn't gone out yet, and it's nine o'clock at night, and I'm like, dang, and my wife has been home for a bunch of hours, and I may say, babes, this is, I would never say this, but babes, you're lazy. Or say, you don't take out the dog because you're lazy. Uh, or, gosh, I, I wish you were more, uh, ambitious with taking out Sophia. As opposed to saying, when you don't take out the dog, it makes me feel anxious. Or when you don't take out the dog, I get stressed out. It's completely on me. Hey, there was a behavior and this is the way it made me feel. 
as opposed to judging them or, and they may absolutely say, oh, babe, I'm sorry, I didn't make you want to make you feel that way. I just was really busy with the kid. As opposed to me saying, hey, when you don't take out a dog, uh, or sorry, since you didn't take out the dog, I'm mad at you, or I feel like you're not doing your work on the house. They're, what, they're in a defensive posture immediately. So they're not going to be really willing to engage and give you good reasoning. It's immediately into an argument. And it's kind of hard to do, but hopefully even at work. When you, colleague of mine or, or person or boss, uh, when you sit me down and talk to me about my performance, it hurts my feelings when you attack my character. You can tell that to your boss. When I come in late to work, you always look at your watch and you tap it like this. It makes me feel like less of a person. And that's a very appropriate thing to say at work. Or as opposed to, you know what, you're a real jerk. Which they are. We all know that. That's what we're thinking. But if we convey it like that, immediately they're like, oh, yeah, jerk. You want to go jerk? You want to jerk. It doesn't help anybody. Be clear, specific, and direct in your requests. Poor listener. Minimally involved, unfocused. Not engaged, you can tell, there are eye contacts going away. A good listener shows interest, nods, asks questions, paraphrases what I said. That's active listening. Keep an open mind. Poor listener. Pays attention only to ideas that conform to our own opinions. A good listener says, looks for opportunities and new learning. Resist distractions. This is the key. A poor listener is easily distracted. I'm easily distracted sometimes I listen. A good listener fights distractions, tolerates bad habits, knows how to concentrate. If you've ever listened to somebody tell a story that you've already heard before, focus on, pretend like you've never heard it, and just say to yourself as you're talking to them, how, in your mind, say, how can I help this person? How can I help this person? And just look at them and just think to yourself, I've already heard this story, how can I help this person? And when you say, how can I help this person in your mind, subconsciously, you're going to listen to them. Capitalize on the fact that thought is faster than speech. Thoughts faster than speech. What's happening in my mind right now is quicker than what's coming out of my mouth. Okay, so a poor listener tends to daydream with slow speakers. <laughs> I'm curious, am I, am I a fast speaker or a slow speaker or medium? Medium. So does anybody know fast speakers? What, what happens when there's a fast speaker? We might not understand that. And so being a fast speaker is a bad thing. And then being a slow Well, Bobby said... Tell you about respect. <laughs> Last time I came in here, I was disrespectful. Okay, man, like what what are you saying? How how can I help you? What what are you trying to communicate right now? So just be conscious of that. So these are some ways as managers that we can we can utilize communication to our, our benefit. We can use so social media for good to communicate such messages that are public, maybe events that we're having. Uh, things that are happening good in our organization. Maybe if we're doing a community food drive during Christmas time, we put it out on social media, let people know. Uh, using informal personal communication channels. Informal personal communication channels. That would be social media. Establishing formal communication channels. Hey, every Monday at whatever time, I'm going to give you a call. We're going to do a five-minute one-on-one. Purpose for company use, team collaboration, listening to customers. That's a big one. Social media is a great way to, like Zappos, to listen to your customers. One of the things we have to understand is will we be able to build a quality relationship with our customers if we do not meet them face-to-face -face or talk to them over the phone and we're only interacting with them digitally? Is it possible? Has anybody here talked to a representative from Amazon.com? Well, one person, <laughs> two people. I've never talked to them. I don't need to talk to them. So we didn't chat. there's certain things that, or how about 
uh, a pool service or how about a cable company or how about a chef? Like how about a babysitter? You know, would you be able to, if you were a babysitter and you're trying to get new clients, you think you're just going to get new clients by connecting with them on social media? You need to pick up the phone, you need to call them, you need to talk to them. You might need to go and dress nicely and present yourself and so they can see you face to face. So there's certain things with customers that you can do digitally and there's certain things with customers that you have to, you can't do through social media. So understanding and discerning between those two things, the grapevine. If we are appropriately and effectively using communication as managers, we can stay ahead of rumors in our organization. If there is a potential financial crisis pending or maybe a merger acquisition with somebody else, is it important for us to get ahead of that message so it doesn't travel through the grapevine? Yeah, so we have to understand that the grapevine is a thing and that we should be controlling it a little bit more because we cannot control the grapevine. It can get out of control. But that we, as good quality managers, there should be people on our team that we trust, that we trust. And we really need to have a few people that the best thing a leader can do is have a person that is honest with them. So if a person on their team hears something in the grapevine, you want to know that there's going to be somebody that's going to tell you, hey, the people are saying, or Jerry and Tommy think this, and I know that's not true, so I thought I wanted to come to you and present you with the fact that these rumors are, are being created, and I think it's time for you to do something about it. Those are good quality employees and team members that we need on our team. Let's go to gossip. Is gossip good? Is gossip bad? What is gossip? So what I know is the definition of gossip is speaking something ill of somebody or something without being willing to speak to that person or that thing face to face. Gossip is speaking ill of a person or a thing, but not being willing to address the person or the thing with that information face to face. Gossip. It's, it's, not, it's inherently not a good thing, but it happens, right? Negative gossip. There could be good gossip. Hey, I hear Claude's wearing a red shirt today, and he's got a really cool red shirt. Or, you know, oh, that's Scott Claude, man. He's a freaking ugly red shirt today. And, and you say, you guys say it to each other, but you guys don't come to me and do it. That's gossip. It's, it's negative. It's ill. And you, you're not willing to say it to somebody else, to, to the person face-to-face. -face. And you're talking to somebody else about it. It's this triangulation of communication. It's uh, drama, the drama triangle. So gossip can be true. Like, the person did this. But if, it's, if it doesn't look good upon that person to spread something, we all kind of know with our morals what that is, mm -hmm. and we're unwilling to go to them and say it, but we're, instead we're passing it down to our neighbors and we're not, it's gossip. It's gossipy, it's gossiping, it's gossip behavior. And as managers, we have to understand that kind of behavior and we have to be willing to tolerate it or not tolerate it. I knew it happened in my work environment. Whenever it would happen around me, whenever somebody would come to gossip to me about somebody else, I would confront it immediately. I'd say, hey, that, this person is my, my coworker, like not my coworker, but this person is my manager. Did you, did you tell them about it? No, I didn't tell them. I said, well, are you coming to me and formally filing a complaint? No, I'm just having a conversation. I said, I'm not going to. And eventually, nobody would gossip around, which I guess is a good thing and a bad thing, but I didn't tolerate it. And I just hope and I, I conveyed to my managers on my team that you shouldn't tolerate it. And you should confront it, and you should stop it. You put a stick in it. And you should, for, if it's formal, if it's a complaint, and the employee has a problem with this person because they inflicted upon their ability to get the work done, that's different. That's not gossip. That's like, hey, I'm, I'm coming to you with a complaint that I need you to do something about. Gossip is, you know, I went over to Jerry's house last night and cooked carrot cake, and that carrot cake sucked. And uh, you shouldn't go to Jerry's and cook carrot cake with him. 
and you're like, what are you like? What's the point of this? Or you're speaking negative about Jerry, and you're likely not telling him. It's just gossip. Yeah, don't eat his carrot cake. <laughs> These are just the different ways of communicating. Upper communicating is problems and expectations, which we just talked about. Suggestions for improvement, uh, grievances and disputes, financial and accounting and information. Interpret. So this is basically people on the bottom level. When I talked about the Dix example, sporting goods, this is people communicating up to managers and to leaders. Like, hey, you need to know about this stuff. This stuff has happened. So we really, in our organizations, we want this stuff to come up. We want, we want this stuff. As managers, if people don't feel comfortable giving us this stuff, we have a problem. Downward communication is from leadership down to subordinates. Implementation of goals and strategies, job instructions and rationale, procedures and practice, performance feedback, indoctrination. This is influence. This is what we're talking about, mission, vision, upper communication, downward communication. And then horizontal communication is amongst colleagues. Interdepartmental problem solving, interdepartmental coordination, change initiatives and improvements, people need to coordinate together. It's simple, like this is kind of how communication flows in the organization. So as managers, we have to understand these types of levels of communication. This is vitally important, they're all vitally at different times. We do not want to constrict this, we do not want to constrict this, and we don't want to constrict this either. These have to be constantly flowing.